Good morning and welcome to HR Tech Weekly, One Step Closer with Stacey Harris and John Sumpser. Hi, Stacey. You're back in North Carolina just in time for it to be hot and miserable. I am, I am. We are definitely hitting our hot and muggy season, but that's okay. I'll take it. I, I, I am lucky enough to live in an area that's got lots of trees, and so it's it's fairly well shaded, and i got air conditioning, and you can't complain. I, more than some people have in this area, so I, I will take it. It's, the sunshine is beautiful. And you're home. Uh, you guys are, are enjoying your nice, wonderful, calm California weather for the moment, right? No, not rainy season, not hot season. It's in the middle there right now? Oh, it's it's it's... It was the hottest June on record. It's hot. It's, it's hot. hot still. It, oh, okay. I thought it, they had. I thought that was finally it, broken, but so it's still well, hot. Well, okay. well, hot, hot. You you know, um, hot. It's it's been, it's been near ninety a couple of times, and so that's Thank sweltering you. for California. Um, um, uh, but 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 it's 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 uh, summertime. It's definitely summertime. Yeah. Um, I, I think so, you know a lot of people when when you talk about that kind of weather they don't realize that a lot of homes in California don't have air conditioning and just like they don't have they have heating but it's a light heat right so so when it's hot here we flip the air conditioning on everybody's got air conditioning even the the smallest houses but not very many houses in California except for on the higher end have air conditioning correct um, yeah yeah well you 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 know before global warming you didn't really need air conditioning yeah. Um, and and now that now that the the weather is consistently many degrees hotter, um, it turns out that it's only a little bit of difference in heat between needing it and not needing it. And so exactly. Yeah. So so the older ho- the older homes just don't have it. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's one of the things a lot of people are always like, well, it's not nearly as hot as the South. I'm like, yes, but every house in the South is built with air conditioning these days. So. Yeah, that's <laughs> and right. And has had it for many years since. So yeah. That's right. <laughs> Yeah. Well, so, um, so what are you doing this week? It's a holiday week here in the States. We've got the 4th of July, which is why we're doing our special Wednesday uh, session. But are, are you staying home and enjoying 4th of July in your neighborhood, or will you be traveling like the rest of the world? It seems like everybody's talking about traveling this year. Um, you know what? I'm staying home. I just finished yesterday. I've been. I have been doing – demos for the report on the state of AI for almost 120 days. Um, wow. And, and you know, there was a lot of travel in there and a lot of, um, of talking to lots of interesting people along the way, but I did about 110 full-on demos and um, um, finished yesterday. <laughs> so, so part of what I'm doing is just taking a big, deep breath before I start writing. Yeah, there are some really interesting things happening in the spectrum that runs from people analytics to intelligent tools. You know, all all about the various ways you can quantify and understand what goes on inside of HR. And so, so I'm I'm excited to get writing, um, and I am particularly excited to be out of the deep research phase. You know, it, it people all the time are like, oh, it must be so fun to sit and listen to, to so many interesting new things. And, like, it is extremely fun to listen to interesting new things until they start blurring together and everyone sounds alike. And then you want to say, wait a minute, what which what was the big difference that you had? You know, <laughs> that's the hard part is really finding the difference when, when so many vendors are doing the same thing these days, right? 
Well, uh, you know, I, I'm having a kind of a different experience. There are there are large-ish categories of people doing similar things, but my days my days in the research process went like yesterday. Yesterday, I talked to to IBM about their integration of Watson and assessment. Um, I talked to um, a little company in Maryland that is scraping social media data to do predictions of behavior for potential employees, which is like super creepy. Um, um, <laughs> um, I talked to um, the smartest person I know about natural language processing and how you can extract um, and utilize employee sentiment from raw text data and and the fact that that you can't really generalize that stuff. Every question is a discrete research project. And then I spent I spent a long time talking to the folks at Shaker International who are um, some of my favorite thinkers about how intelligent tools progress to this thing. So so the really big problem was leaping from diverse topic to the diverse topic without much break in between. And and that's fun <laughs> until until your brain explodes. Yeah, um, I was just gonna say, so that's the other opposite end of that spectrum, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's either it's either it's either oh no more of this or yeah. um or a lot of contradictory things, and 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 I like the part where there's a lot of contradictory things because I think that more accurately represents what's going on in HR technology. You know the the idea that I was talking with with a a senior HR person this morning about the difficulty that. HR technology companies really have because customers are hungry for easy solutions. And the reality of HR is that it is complex and there aren't easy solutions. Uh, but if you go to a, if you go to a customer who wants an easy solution, you say, well, I know you want a car and I've got this special really good car. It'll get you there slower than walking but you'll make better decisions along the way. They don't even talk to you twice. Right? You must you must claim to save money and reduce costs and make things easier um, because quality is rarely a concern of the HR department. Um, and yeah, it's a, that makes it a very difficult place to sell interesting solutions to things. I think you were right on the nose. I you know, had a similar conversation yesterday with a with an organization who was talking about how their product was was better quality, same thing, and 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 maybe even cost a little bit less than some of the some of the bigger guys was easier to use, but it it didn't substantially feel like it was saving time. You know, the complex challenges. This was a particular organization was dealing with learning functions. The complex challenges, the the, the space between learning and the talent in HR world and how you tie those together. And I said, it doesn't do anything to make their lives easier. It just adds a little bit of extra benefit, but that extra benefit isn't enough to, you know, get rid of a whole suite of things. And so you've really, you've got to, like you said, do something that adds not so much return on investment, but definite value to other places that they're working on, right? 
Yeah, well, it's it's a crazy thing because because HR is a cost center. So so if you just look at return on investment inside of the HR department, the only thing that you can do is cut costs. Yeah. That's the only way you can get a return on investment inside of HR because it's a cost center. Um, And so so the smart people are trying to figure out how to relate their products to sales and revenue and productivity outside of the HR department because the, the, the budgets are greater if you can actually make a meaningful impact. Making HR run faster often means um, making bad decisions in more of a hurry. And um, um, it, it's hard to, to hang in there with the argument that that's worth spending money on. Right, the, the, yeah. it's like it's like the the recruiting problem is a particularly pernicious one, where where the results of recruiting are fifty percent failure rate, right? And so all of the recruiting buyers want to do that faster. We want to make that same level of mistakes in half the time, <laughs> you know? Yeah, because then and, at least we'd get it figured out sooner, right? <laughs> Well, 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 but see, the problem is the feedback loop in recruiting is 18 months long. You don't know that you've made a mistake till somebody is fully onboarded and has had a year or so of performance in place. And by the time that's happened, you're halfway through the manager's career and the recruiter's come and gone. So there's nobody to give the feedback to when you get it. And there's no method for collecting it. And, and that's, that's a very, very difficult problem to solve from a technical perspective. Well, and that's, you know, I think that's the, the thing that, that um, will be interesting to see is can we, in, in sort of the, the HR technology world, add quality along with speed? And I think the answer is no right now. I think, you know, this is a conversation I'm having with a lot of organizations but the answer is, can we, if we keep doing it and, and, and getting instantaneous feedback in some way, because what you're right, that process of feedback is 18 months right now, but if you put artificial intelligence on the other end of the process, will it become faster too? I, you know, that's the, that's the question that I don't know that we have an answer to right now, right? Yeah, I, I haven't seen a single artificial intelligence or intelligent tools or um, – <clears throat> a people analytics project whose objective is accelerating the time to productivity for new employees. Yeah. Right. That, that, that's, that's a place where you could see a return on investment in operations. If you could cut the amount, if you're a salesperson in HR tech, it takes nine minutes, nine months to get productive on average. If you could find a way, a technology that could reduce that by half, um, there's a real return on investment there. Um, that would and, be the workforce productivity tool, supposedly, correct? It would be some kind of a productivity tool or some kind of an onboarding tool that had as its goal measurable um, um, improvement in productivity over time. Right, so this is the this is the thing that's always missing in the learning and development space the the actual yep. applicability of learning and development to um, um, the operations of the company. 
It's the biggest the gap, L- yeah. L&D people just don't know how to do that. Um, and that's all the operations people want. <laughs> Show me that sending somebody to this course or having this training thing on their desktop makes them do the work more productively, that there is an actual return on investment in the work. And and for the most part, HR and learning people show that they can do HR and learning stuff faster, not organizational value. Well, and there might be some pushback. It was interesting. I was just reading the article today about the, the head um, – uh, designer over at Apple leaving um, and going Johnny to start his yeah. own company. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and they, you know, the 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 initial thing was I'm starting my own company. It's just time, right? The 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 trickling article seemed to be he's not very happy with Tim Cook's focus on operations and productivity. And I was well, so on the other hand, you know, does that you know for the creative side of the world for the side that it takes nuanced time to get up to speed and maybe that time is important because it gives you other things we also haven't figured that out yet either so speeding things up could be a challenge in some of these areas right that's, a, focus that's, on a, that's exactly right i think i think yeah. the 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 place where hr is going to get taken to task in the fairly near future because we're able to measure things now is is we move as an industry without really defining things very well. So, so you look at the well. Well, so the first thing, the first story um, today is is about an MIT Sloan Management Review Glassdoor study of culture in American companies, and and they took NLP and did an evaluation of a million glass door reviews to come up with a cultural analysis for a huge number of companies. And they measure culture on nine variables. And the problem is this is an employee sentiment analysis and employee sentiment doesn't measure culture, right? (laughs) Employee sentiment measures employee sentiment and employee sentiment changes with the, with the fate of the company. So, so when it's making its sales numbers and growing, employee sentiment is often very, very positive. <laughs> and when it's not making its numbers and shrinking, employee sentiment is often very, very negative. And, yeah. and, and that's great. It's important to know that. It's like having a good sense of the weather, but confusing the weather in Raleigh, North Carolina with Raleigh, North Carolina is what they're doing with this study. And it's, and it's uh-huh. the mistake that... That um, that that a lot of people who ought to know better in in professional consulting in HR make all the time. They think that engagement is something rather than being a symptom of something. Yeah. Um, right. Um, and so I want to improve so, engagement, but I'm not really talking about what is it that I do in my organization that impacts that engagement. I'm just talking about the idea of improving engagement, right? Yeah, so you have this. It's. I mean, what Glassdoor does is great, and what NLP does is great, and what um, the Sloan Management Review does is great, and what MIT does is great. And when you put those four ingredients together, you get this yuck. <laughs> that is, that is, a very pretty website that claims to measure all sorts of things that it doesn't measure at all, um, with no oversight involved in in the process and that's that's the um 
that's increasingly a problem as HR becomes more of a science. The oversight of the science um, isn't happening. Peer review isn't happening. Hard questions aren't really being asked, except by you and me. Well, you know, it's it's a... It was funny. I was listening the other day to, you know, um, uh, a podcast that was talking about sort of the some of the some of the amazing sort of breakthroughs of our time, right? Uh, medically, and penicillin being one of those amazing breakthroughs, and and how it came about with, you know, a splotch of, um, you know, 19, which I didn't realize we didn't have penicillin until 1941, but that just shows my how far back I I think about things, and uh, it, you know, the discovery of it was basically this sort of idea that someone had a petri dish that had mold growing on it accidentally and that what was in looking and seeing that that had you know uh caused bacteria to go away but the amount of sort of testing that that went through and the amount of rigor that that went through and the fact that it sat for 10 years before anybody did anything with it right because it got buried under reviews and journals and thinking we just we're not doing any of that kind of testing and reviewing right now. We're just throwing these things out into the social scape because it's it's harder to quantify something like social and personal impact versus healthcare impact, right? Well, I, I'm not sure that it's harder to quantify, but that the pace doesn't match the technology. So, so we've taken research. In the last five years, we have taken research in, into HR things almost entirely out of the hands of academic institutions and put it in small startups that are in charge of doing research and producing revenue. Um, and so, so the need to produce revenue heavily biases the results that they're able to um, accomplish. Um, and so they go to market sooner with things that aren't quite all the way worked out with a it's it's called lean um, startup methodology right and the idea is you get a product that's almost good enough and then you let your customer tell you what's wrong with it when it doesn't work yeah. the agile, um, yeah, and, methodology yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know and, and okay okay so that's the that's the thing but that's what we're seeing a lot of um yeah. and it's um um what what happens is is you can't generalize the results because it's not in anybody's interest to share them. That's one of the things I'm excited about with the folks I talked to at Shaker International is they are actively interested in open sourcing both code and discoveries in HR technology. And um, that's a, a really interesting movement that merits a lot of attention, I think. Well, you know, so so open sourcing, you know, there has been a lot of conversation this week in the news about open sourcing various um, programs and tools that both Google and Facebook are doing a lot of open sourcing, right, to, to get their, I guess, version of whatever they're doing standardized. Is, is open sourcing a way to get things sort of so that everybody's using it and then it becomes a standard, or is, is it truly going to bring about more collaboration, do you think? I think both of those things are true. I, I'm sure both of those things are true. Google, Google, and Amazon, and Microsoft, and Oracle, to a lesser extent, all want to be um, providers of cloud software. 
Yeah. Right. And so it's in their interest to get their clients up to speed as fast as possible with cloud with with software that uses a lot of processing and a lot of storage. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's in their interest to to deliver those kinds of products um, so that their customers use them so that they consume the basic thing that, that those companies are selling, which is processing time and storage. Um, they, there's another kind of um, open source, which is more like the stuff that comes out of hackathons. So, so you pick a problem, um, and then you have, I, I, think, I think, the, the um, PSYOP with Shaker's uh, assistance ran a hackathon that produced code to solve a classification problem, taking text and turning it into um, um, uh, big five personality assessment characteristics. Uh-huh. Uh, and they had a hundred companies participate with a thousand different models, and they tested all of these models, and they found the the ones that work, and created the library that anybody can go use to incorporate that particular bit of functionality into their solution. Right, and so that's but, but slightly I, different than than the stuff that Google and Amazon are doing. That that's a good point. That's a good point. Although I I would push back again and say I mean I I like that idea, but boy I would really like to see both but see those algorithms or those those groups checked against a non technical version of it, right, for a very long time to see if those things come out the same. That's the same type of rigor you would see in any kind of scientific process and. If it's open sourced, how often will that be done? I don't know. That's that's you know, there's that sort of constant conversation about you know if we open source it and everybody can use it, do the people who use it use it, understanding that it's not been fully fleshed out yet, right? Well, well, so so I mean, this is this is actually this is actually a great question because what that boils down to in the intelligent tools world is the characteristics of the training data. Yeah. Right, so for for a hackathon with intelligent tools to work, you need a problem to solve, and you need a set of training data, and that's the only way that you can tell whether or not the um, results of the hackathon uh, make a difference. Right, everybody has to use the same training data, and the training data is where you can do the validation stuff that you're talking about. Right, and the, and and I believe I I don't know for sure, but I believe that's part of the equation is that is that the, the science is included in the foundations of the hackathon that produces trend, yeah. yeah that produces standard things. Now, the, it, what's interesting is because because uh, I I don't believe that Shaker is venture backed. They can take the point of view that that their intelligent tools are not the proprietary difference. And so they can, they can say that, that all we have is a, a head start in time, and we're happy to share whatever we discover, because whatever we discover, we discover first, and if you use it, you're following us, and we want to be yeah. the market leader, right? Um, and, and that's a different point of view than... Um, a venture-backed company that's trying to accumulate intellectual property so that if the overall venture doesn't succeed, there's an asset worth selling at the end of the investment. 
Well, that might be, you know, I mean, we've only got a few minutes, but sort of just leading into some of the, the funding things that we had this week. I mean, is that – so this week we saw StepZone acquiring the majority of the U.S. technology provider, AppCast. Now, AppCast has been in the sort of um, talent acquisition space for some while, but they, they acquired 85% of the U.S. American company um, for $70 million. Is that – you know, those kind of, of acquisitions, venture capital, those type of things, are they also looking for things that would be more IP proprietary? Or is it just about aggregating customers still in some cases? I love that kind of stuff. Um, I, you know, I don't know enough about the, the AppCast acquisition. AppCast is essentially programmatic advertising for recruiting. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so, so it automates the process of figuring out which job board to use fundamentally um and um i'm sure there is is a combination of both things there there's there is coherent technology that's a very very difficult problem to solve in a sustained way um and a customer list although i i i don't I think AppCast is American and Stepstone is is They're, deep um, roots German. European German actually, yeah. um, and and so and so maybe this is Stepstone has always had ambition about the American market and maybe this is a, a move to expand into the American market. I I don't know. Well, we and, and we've definitely seen this week, and it might be because of the, the U.S. holidays, that the European investments were much more in the news than the, the U.S. investments. We saw um, companies like Fellow App, which is a, um, of course, I, I love the language, the first software for managers, but it's basically a um, performance management tool, um, uh, getting seed funding for $6.5 million and a Paris-based HR tech company called Clever Connect getting $5.5 million, um, supposedly to reduce unemployment in Europe. I'm not exactly sure how it does that, but it's supposed to be sort of a, a job mentoring um, kind of a tool. Um, and a London-based HR platform called Clear Review, uh, which is a cloud-based performance development tool that got $2.9 million, all European-based or, or uh, UK-based this week. Do you think that's just because of the holidays and things are quiet here in the U.S.? Or um, it's probably that. It's also the you, you know the the announcement season runs from the first of March to the fifteenth of June, right? And it yeah. just it just turns into a trickle after that, um, and that may have as much to do with the fiscal year of the venture funds. Um, and so they need to get all of, they need to get all of their investing for a certain round done by the first of July. Um, and, and I don't, I don't know. I can't explain the seasonality, but it's definitely seasonal. It's definitely seasonal. Yeah. Yeah. But like you said, you know, these companies that are venture backed, um, whether they're here in the States or in Europe, they are all with the expectation that they will get some IP out of these and not just a company. And so crowdsourcing is probably not their top priority or or open uh, sharing uh, open IP at some point in the process. Right. Yep. Yep. I like this. I like this one. Um, that that has AI examining the way you walk 
to to <laughs> determine your mood. I thought you would like that one. Yeah, <laughs> that one I picked just for you, John. I, I I was I'm reading this and I'm going. Well, it's that's not being used. <laughs> yeah, it's not being used by an HR group right now, but it, it, this is this is a, a bit of research that's being done. Um, actually, here at, at University of Chapel Hill and the University of Maryland, um, they investigated a machine learning method that can identify a person's perceived emotion balance, which is negative or positive, and arousal, as they call it, calm or energetic, from their gait alone. And the researchers claim this approach, uh, they believe, is the first of its kind um, and it's 80.07% accuracy in preliminary experiments. So, so one out of five of times, yeah. <laughs> one out of five times, it gets it totally wrong. Yeah. <laughs> one out of five times, it gets it totally wrong. Um, um, and and if you said that to them, they'd go, "Well, it's better than a human would do," but they wouldn't be able to tell you what a human can do or what the performance of a human in this thing was. But you know that that something that examines motion is not going to be able to account for a bunion or polio or, you know, the 15,000 yeah. things that make people walk <laughs> in their unique way. Um, and the idea that there is some sort of, generalizable truth to be had from posture. That's a very Victorian point of view. <laughs> it's a little scary. And it but it but the fact that it made it into some of the sort of higher end tech news articles that I tend to read on a on a weekly basis, I was like, oh wow, this is getting creepier by the minute. And then right after that, I had one where AI was predicting college students' stress from phone sensors and questionnaire data. Now, the questionnaire data, okay, but then the phone sensors were obviously things like their how often they were walking, how busy they were, their heartbeat rate, all those things that your phone can supposedly get off of its you know sensor readings. And I think we're, we're heading more and more into this space where the world around us is monitoring us and at every angle and what people make of that data is is you know we're we're talking about things um where we know people are doing you know pre-interview exams or where we know that um you know someone's watching what we're doing in performance management tools or watching what we're doing online in our linkedin profiles when they're skimming it but when you're walking or when you're just sitting there and your phone's monitoring them making decisions based off of that stuff, that gets even scarier, doesn't it? Um, it's it's a really long question. I think I think you can't be afraid of this. You can't you can't be afraid of this. It's really a function for my money that there there were Oh, I don't know. Maybe a hundred million people on the planet when the idea of privacy started to be meaningful. You know, you, you couldn't have privacy when the only form of government was monarchy or tribal leadership. Mm-hmm. Privacy wasn't a thing because the king always had the right to do whatever they wanted to do to you. It wasn't until the Magna Carta that you could start to think about privacy. So it's under a thousand years old out of a hundred thousand years of history and and the ideas were generally conceived 
in a time where there was a lot of room so you could have a lot of privacy. Mm-hmm. And now there's 7 billion people, and it's going to 9 or 10 before our population starts shrinking again in 30 years. Um, and and in that crowding, uh, we learn all sorts of things about people. And I think technology is just a symptom of that. It's just a symptom of the fact that things are crowded now. And, um, uh, and, and yes, everything's going to be monitored. Every twitch of your eyelid is going to be monitored and assessed, and somebody's going to make a prediction about it. And we're going to have to wade through that. It, it's not like it's it's not like it's something we can inhibit somehow, unless all the electricity goes away. And we're headed down this road towards measurement because. Processing capability is continuing to explode. Storage is continuing to get cheaper. And the companies that want to sell processing and storage are giving away tools that make it possible to measure anything. Well, and and I think you're, you're, you know, although I I like to be sort of – to, to create the drama by saying, isn't that scary? I think you're, you're right on that. You know, what I always tell people is you can't put your head in the sand. You, you have to be aware that this is going to happen, and you have to understand the technology if you want to keep some sense of your freedom, which is a, it's a good conversation to have on the eve of the 4th of July here in the United States. It's, it's a matter of understanding the technology, not so much being afraid of it. That's going to be the value proposition, I think. So, yeah. Um, so, Great conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well. I think we got most of the things on your list covered in here too. So it was a great conversation. We didn't talk about employer background checks, and and um, I should tell you very quickly about a, a company that I I talked to yesterday, who scans your uh, social media exhaust um and categorizes what's discovered in your social media exhaust in 10 risk categories um and um so so they predict how likely you are to be an embezzler or how likely you are to be a sexual harasser or how likely you are to lie or how likely you are to a whole host of things as part of the background checking process Wow. Well, that would be interesting. This particular this is this is picked up by the major news um uh screeners this this last couple of weeks and and I had heard about a couple of things of that have they've mentioned here but this is um the large amount of money that's been won in court cases over the last 5 to 6 years because here at least in the United States background checks were done illegally um against the Fair Credit Act uh law which requires that if you do a background check there has to be a reason for doing background check for that position, and if you do it, you have to get consent from the person who you're doing it from, and then you have to make sure that they get um, the results of that background check if it negatively impacts their ability to have the position, which just doesn't happen most of the time. And organizations ranging from Amazon, Target, Uber, and Wells Fargo were all uh, sued, and uh, money was won from them. So, gosh, add what you just said to that picture. Um there's got to be some serious legal things that go on with that. <laughs> well, well, but so, so it's it's a really good long topic. Here's the problem. So, so, so if I'm running a background check on you right now, and I'm not going to talk to you next week because of what I find in the background check, how would you know? Yeah, that is because because I'm. Yeah. 
Because I'm legally required to tell you, so what if I don't? <laughs> right. And, and and that's the problem is 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 that you can't be sure that you know uh, whether you're being surveilled in this way and um and there's sort of a nod and a wink thing that the the company that I talked to yesterday um um has big FCRA disclosures all over their website but what they're really doing is pushing the liability onto the employer they they don't ensure that the employer does anything um they would say that that's not their job their job is to collect the information and deliver it and it's the employer's job to obey the law wow um well, and 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 you know what? That's probably right. Um, that's probably right. Um, it's the, the employer is liable, not the not the company that collects the information. And uh, and I think there are some employers who probably feel the risk is worth it. I guess I, I you know to get some insight into who they're hiring. I don't know. Yeah, that that's uh, that would be a conversation maybe for a. a um, uh, someone who's got a little more HR, legal, and law background. Uh, maybe your partner, uh, Heather, I, I or to, I happen to know some people like that. Yeah. How about you? <laughs> we know a few that are very good. <laughs> yeah. At some point, this would be a good conversation to have with both of them. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Maybe we'll have them on for a special argument edition. On. on yeah, what you can and can't do, or what's legally or or correctly right, both of which are not the same things, right? Right, exactly. Well, yeah. great conversation. It's nice to have you back in the country, um, and yeah. we'll do this again next week. Definitely, thanks, yeah, looking forward to it. Thanks, John. Bye. Alrighty, and thanks, everybody, for listening in. Um, you've been listening to HR Tech Weekly, One Step Closer with Stacey Harris and John Sumser. See you next week. Here come those Irish guys.